Let's go to Job chapter 1. We are going through some of the sacred cows. Job chapter 1. And let's start in verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. This is one of the sacred cows that a lot of times people will refer to and talk about the problems or the tribulations of Job, the suffering of Job, if you would. And they will use this and say, well, you know, God put sickness on Job, tried Job. He tore up all of his stuff because if we read on, we find out just immediately the Sabaeans fell upon them and took away. They were robbers and murders. And then it says the fire of God is fallen. What they're calling the fire of God is lightning. This is not any kind of special fire from heaven. This is lightning. So the lightning fell and burned the sheep and the servants. And, and then uh, while he was still speaking, these robbers came and they took stuff. And then while he, they're still talking... There came a wind, great wind from the wilderness, verse 19 says. And so that was a tornado. The whole house blew away and it was a bad day. We will say that. But we have to find out from the Word of God who is responsible for this. First of all, we need to establish this fact. Job was not under the covenant that we are under. So just because something happened to Job, we have no reason to expect under the new covenant that these kind of things happen. I personally don't believe that since Jesus made a show of Satan openly, and we know it says that in Colossians, that Satan any longer appears with the other angels and goes into the heavens and talks to God. But we find out here that Job had had a hedge of protection, but God indicated that the hedge of protection was down. It said, all that he has is in your power. We know that the devil does have power on the earth earth now and all destructive weather comes from the devil. God causes the rain. To, and you know, the Bible says God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. God causes the normal weather. We should have normal weather patterns, but all the abnormal weather patterns, all destructive weather like lightning and tornadoes and, and hail and excessive winds, those are when the devil and his demons get into the weather systems, cause the problems. The, yes, there can be weather systems that come and clash with each other. So part of it is the curse that's in the earth and part of it is the enemy gets involved to kill, steal, and destroy from people. We have authority over that. We know that in the new covenant, Jesus bought the authority for us. We simply have to use 
our mouth and stop those things. And if we don't stop them, God won't stop them. We have to stop them. And we have a lot of people that are Christians and they don't know that. And so what ends up happening when destructive situations are going on, they start praying all right, but they start praying for God to do something, for God to stop things. And God told us in His Word, that we are to take authority over the devil. And so that's basically that. Job 3, if you'll go over there in verse 25, as you go on through chapter 2, the devil goes before God again. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he's in thine hand, but don't kill him, basically. Don't kill him. And immediately Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. That's in verse 7 of chapter 2. Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. So where did sore boils come from? From Satan. It was not from God, was it? It specifically says that Satan smote him. And that's who brings sickness and disease on people. In the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, Satan brings the sickness and disease. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy, it says in John 10.10. And that would be a sacred cow. A lot of people believe that sickness comes from God, that He sends it to teach us something, to humble us, to cause us to grow and mature spiritually. But I guarantee you, if that was the truth, the world would be full of spiritual giants. It would be amazing. We would have a bunch of people in Tuscaloosa County that were so mature in the Lord. If it was true that God put something on you to teach you something, then it would be a sin for you to go to the doctor and try to get well. Because you ought to be, oh, keep on, God, come on, because I really am not mature yet. I hadn't learned enough yet, so go ahead and put it on me. No, that is absolute foolishness, but religion is foolish, and those are the kind of things that religion says. So Job tells us in verse 25 of chapter 3 exactly why the hedge was down around him. Why was the hedge down? Because it said one time he had had a hedge around him. Satan knew that Job had a hedge and he was protected and that everything Job touched was blessed. Obviously, Satan didn't like that. But in verse 25, Job said this himself, For the thing which I greatly feared is to come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is coming to me. So we know that fear is an open door, is an open door for the enemy. Why is fear an open door of the enemy? Because fear is trusting in the devil more than we trust in God. Fear is unbelief. We are saying, I'm more afraid of what the devil can do than I am that God will protect me. And we know it says in the book of uh, Psalms, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. And so when we're afraid of disaster and calamity and sickness and disease, first of all, we're suffering from an unrenewed mind. But secondly, we're not trusting God. A lot of people have a very little God and a big devil. A lot of Christians. But we have a big God and we know that the devil is no match for God. It's not even close. But we have to keep our minds straightened out in those things. And when we know we're operating in fear, we need to deal with it. Go to Job 4. 
I better tell you the background of this. His friends came to see him, and they said seven days and seven nights. And a bunch of the stuff they told him was just garbage. It wasn't true. It was a mess. And boy, God got on to him. In chapter 42, if you wanted to go read that, which is the last chapter of Job, you will see that God got on to his friends and said, you better bring a sacrifice offering, a burnt offering, or you're going to be in serious trouble. And then you better go to Job and I'll honor his prayers. And if Job will pray for you, then I will heal you. Because they had come under these things. But, and they did have a mix of truth in some of the things they said. But here's something he said that Eliphaz said to Job that I believe is true. Verse 3, Behold, thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Now he's talking to Job, saying, You've taught all these people, and you've strengthened their weak hands. Thy words have upholded him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. But now it is come upon thee, and thou faintest. It toucheth thee, and thou art troubled. So I believe that Eliphaz had it right that Job had been a teacher of many, that he had helped people, that he had instructed them. In other words, he had spoken words to them, that it encouraged them and held them up. And he says, now you have a problem, and you're not using your words like you have taught other people to. You're not speaking the same things now that you're in a crisis. And boy, that could come back on all of us where we could say, we got to live what we preach. And sometimes it's real easy when you're teaching people. We're teaching children's church. I'm teaching in here. Pastor's teaching in here. And then to go home and have a pity party. And we tell y'all, don't do that. Don't get into unbelief. Don't have a pity party and then go home and have one because of some situation. You know, it only takes one thing have you ever noticed, I have, I've just been rocking along and I'm in faith, boy, I'm encouraged. And then all of a sudden, just one little thing will happen and it's just like somebody popped my balloon. And a lot of times, Pastor and I will say to each other, well, you know, really nothing's changed. It's still the same, but it just hit us wrong that day. Somebody popped my balloon and all of a sudden, the words that I've been teaching, the words that I've been speaking to others to uplift them and encourage them, I'm not speaking those things to myself. So he said that to Job. So two things, Job let fear get in and then when the attack came, he didn't stand up with the same words that he had taught. He didn't do what he knew to do. He knew some things that he didn't act on. I want to praise God for the hedge that was around Job. Because if Job, an old covenant man, can have a hedge about him, we can, by our words and by Psalm 91, by the things that we're speaking every day, we can have a hedge around us that the enemy cannot penetrate. And so we need to make sure that we are speaking words that put a hedge about us. Before you leave on a trip, do you stop and pray? Are you just in such a big hurry? Billy Brim said that every time she walks out the door to get in the car, you know, she lays her hand on the car and says, please the blood of Jesus over her car. I guarantee you in Tuscaloosa, you need to do that. In verse 11 there in chapter 1, where Satan told God to put forth his hand and touch Job, basically God told him no. God refused to do it. Let's look in James 1.13.
It says in James 1.13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So God does not put evil on us to see if we will curse him, to see if we will do the right thing. And we should never say that any trial or any temptation has come from God. And if you've ever said that, or if you've been angry with God, that's the same as saying it. You know, a lot of people don't think God has any rules. And so they believe He's up there in heaven and He could just do anything He wanted to. So if He had really wanted to save my baby, He could have. But God has limited Himself to His own Word. God is sovereign. In His sovereignty, He set the rules and the rules that He set, which is His Word, He abides by. The things that He put into our responsibility, He will not cross the line and do for us what is our responsibility. But a lot of people believe that God's just a free agent. He just does what He wants to, when He wants to. He saves who He wants to. He kills who He wants to. He sends tornadoes to the town He wants to. He lifts up over houses that He doesn't want to. But really, it's not that. What are the people saying? What are they speaking? Sometimes... There's people that don't know anything and they wouldn't know to speak, but the tornado just misses their house by 10 feet. It's just not the path that the tornado goes in. And they didn't have anything to do probably with being saved. Sometimes the devil is not able to get to certain people because there's somebody in their family that's praying. And I want to tell you something else, not just right now. Things can be prayed out in advance. Things can be prayed out. Even the generation before you may have prayed out or even before that, especially those that prayed in the Spirit back in those days. I had a Pentecostal grandmother, great-grandmother, that prayed in the Spirit. I had a Pentecostal grandmother that prayed in the Spirit, but I also had a Pentecostal great-grandmother. You know, I just did not get in trouble in high school like many of my peers did. And I believe not because I was anything special, but I believe it was the prayers of generations before me that when I was two and three years old, I was staying with my great-grandmother and she was praying in the Spirit while I was just toddling around. And she prayed things out for my life. I believe that so many things in my life were prayed out by my grandparents and the protection that I have. That's why I think grandparents are super important. Always be nice to grandparents. Hallelujah. <laughs> they might be the key. I want to do that for my grandkids. I know you want to for yours. And so you're praying now for generations that you have not seen. Sometimes even in church tonight, we prayed for people that we're not related to them. I'm not related to them, but if they're connected to you in some way, then I believe God honors those prayers. I believe God always looks for a way to save, to make a way, to help. He always looks for a way. It pays off big to have a godly heritage, to come from a godly family, to pass down through the generations this blessing. The blessing goes to a thousand generations. Can you imagine? You can't even get our heads around what, who you were. They say by the time you get to 32nd cousin, you're all kin. So basically, we're all kin in here somehow, some way.
But those blessings go into a thousand generations. How amazing is that? So wonderful. So God does not tempt us nor test us with evil. In chapter 42, verse 8, it says, My servant Job shall pray for you. I'm kind of dropped down in the middle of verse 8. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job did. In verse 10, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And after this lived Job 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. I believe that's a wonderful promise to even lay hold of. And I have told the Lord, but I have purposely prayed for my friends before and said, now Lord, you turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends and you are no respecter of persons. So this situation that I'm going through right now, I have now prayed for my friends and I'm believing you, Lord God, to turn this situation around absolutely a sacred cow to believe that God did anything to Job or smote him. Even though Job at one point said so himself, he said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's used probably at every funeral, especially where religion is prevailing. But it was truly recorded that Job said it. Job truly did say it. But Job, he was a little messed up right there. Because the Lord does give. It's a half-truth. But the Lord does not take away our children, our relatives. He does not take them away. Hallelujah. He does not steal. Hallelujah. Oh, I will like to mention this. The scholars that study this out say that this attack on Job lasted less than a year, but more than a couple of months. And although his friends... You've got to read about 35 chapters of all his friends say they were only there seven days and seven nights. So they did a lot of bloviating and um, <laughs> expressing their opinion, but it wasn't worth much anything. So number four, sacred cow is Paul's thorn. And you've probably heard of this. This is what religion uses for an excuse. They say that Paul had a thorn in his flesh and it was sickness. And so... We should expect for to have a thorn in our flesh and, and God to give us that thorn. So we have to find out from the Word of God. You know, they always say interpret Scripture through Scripture is the best way to get Bible interpretation. And so from the Scriptures, let's find out what a thorn in the flesh refers to. We're getting us a good Bible foundation so we know these things. The thorn in the flesh phrase always referred to a person or people, never to sickness or disease. Every time thorn in the flesh was used in the Bible, it always referred to a person or people. So let's go to Numbers 33. Done. Numbers 33:55 says, But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which ye let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall vex you in the land wherein you dwell. Here it's talking about the inhabitants of the land crossed over into Canaan land. It was inhabited by heathen people. And God wanted them to drive out the inhabitants of the land. He said, um, if you will not drive out these inhabitants of this land before you, they're going to be a thorn in your flesh. They're going to be a problem to you. 
our point here is that it was talking about people. In Joshua 23:13, same thing. These are the places where that phrase thorn in the flesh or thorn in the side in, is used. Joshua 23:13 says, Know you for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. You know, they failed to be completely obedient. And so they did not drive out all these peoples from off this land. And so... He said, these people are going to be thorns in your flesh and pricks in your sides. In other words, they're going to give you problems for the rest of your life. Paul, we know, was a Bible scholar. We know that he gave us his credentials in one place, in one of his books that he wrote. And he talked about how he was a Hebrew of a Hebrew, who he studied under. He was scholarly. He said, above many of his peers... And so he would have known these Old Testament scriptures because he was a a studier of the Old Covenant of these Old Testament scriptures. He would have known them. Not only would he have known them, he probably would have known them by heart. So he would have known what the phrase, a thorn in the flesh, meant. So look in Acts 9, 16. What we're proving here with the Word of God is that the thorn in the flesh that Paul refers to and that's in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. We'll read that in a minute. But the thorn in the flesh that Paul refers to, what we're proving here is that it was not sickness or disease. Because it's important that we know that. Acts nine sixteen, Ananias was told to go heal Paul. Let's begin in verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. Now God's speaking to Ananias here. Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scales and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Now Paul was not blind because of sickness and disease. He was on the road to Damascus and he was made blind by God, a temporary blindness because he had persecuted the church and God wanted to get his attention so that he could talk to him. Now I've wanted God to do this for a lot of people. I've even prayed, Lord, could they please have a Damascus Road experience with you just like Paul did. So far it hadn't worked, that prayer. It was the same thing as with Zechariah. When the angel came to him and said, your wife's going to have a baby and he's going to be named John and And he didn't believe God. He didn't believe the angel. So he was struck with this temporary muteness so that God could get his attention and so that he wouldn't speak and mess up this miracle that was about to happen. Paul had this temporary blindness and then God sent Ananias to pray for him that his eyes would be open. But God told Ananias and he said, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So it's obvious that Paul was going to have to suffer 
because of the ministry that he was called to. Now, we're in Acts 9. Let's just look down in verse 23. And we're going to see some things that Paul suffered for the name of Jesus. In 9.23 it says, But after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying wait was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. That's one of the things he was going to have to suffer is somebody's trying to kill you. That's a suffering when people are trying to kill you. Then drop down to verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming and going throughout all Jerusalem. So he was hindered from joining the other Christians because they were afraid of him. Number three, go to Acts 13. We're going to have about 15 of these here where he suffered. How great things that he had to suffer. Acts 13 verse 6. It says, And when they had gone through the isle unto Patmos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Barjesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus the sorcerer, for so is his name, by interpretation withstood them and seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtility and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord. So here we find Paul being opposed by Satan or by people specifically that had demons and were being used of Satan. Then in 44 of chapter 13, if you go on, it says, And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. That's always fun when you're a minister. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the regions. So he was opposed by a Jewish mob. But hallelujah, he just keeps overcoming these things, doesn't he? In Acts 13, verse 50, it says, But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. So he was persecuted and got it thrown out of the country, thrown out of Antioch to be specific. Acts 14, 1 it says, And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake they a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil, affected against the brethren. Don't you hate it when somebody stirs up the new converts and somebody just got Christ, somebody in the church gets in strife, and it always hurts the little babies when somebody gets in strife. You know, sometimes the older, the more mature in Christ can handle it, but the babies always get hurt 
when somebody gets in strife. Long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part helped with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when there was an open assault made both of the Gentiles, also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled to Lystra. So they got mobbed and expelled from Iconium. He fled to Lystra and Derby, and in Lystra and Derby, Acts 14, 6 through 9, it says he was stoned and left for dead. He has been suffering. In Acts, it said he would show him how great things he would have to suffer. Then in Acts 16, 12, he was beaten and thrown in jail at Philippi. In uh, Acts 17, 1 through 10, he was mobbed and expelled from Thessalonica. In Acts 17.10, he was mobbed and expelled from Berea. It's just not going well here. Acts 18, he was mobbed by, at Corinth. In Acts 19, he was mobbed at Ephesus. There was a plot against his life by the Jews in Acts 20, verse 3. The last one was he was seized by Jews, mobbed, tried in court five times, and suffered other hardships. The point of going through all that is not one time was the suffering that God told Ananias that Paul would have to suffer for him. Not one time was that suffering sickness or disease. It was always persecution by people, by jealous, angry envious people by religion. It was mostly those of the Jewish religion persecuted him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure. Now this is Paul talking. Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now, if God had given him something to buffet him, it would have been a messenger of God. It wouldn't have said a messenger of Satan, first of all. So it doesn't make sense that the thorn in the flesh was something given him from God. But it was a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice or three times that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. This was not a messenger of God. It was a messenger of Satan. It was sent to buffet him. I looked up some of these words. The word buffet there means to treat with violence. To treat with violence. And we know it from reading those other accounts of how he suffered, that he was very much treated with violence. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was left for dead. He was mobbed. He was thrown out of cities. And he said that that was a messenger of Satan, the lest I be exalted above measure. I wanted you to notice one other thing up in verse 5 of Second Corinthians. Verse 4, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. That word infirmities, if you look that up in the Greek, that word infirmities means weaknesses. It does not mean sicknesses. Now to prove that, we can go over to Matthew chapter 8. In verse 17, where Matthew, he actually quotes Isaiah, and it says in Matthew 8, 17, 
that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So this is two different words. Matthew is not saying, well, Jesus bore our sicknesses and our sicknesses. He's saying He Himself took our weaknesses and bare our sicknesses. And so this is talking about weakness. The buffet means to treat with violence. We know that he's talking about weaknesses when he talks about infirmities also because in verse 10, he said, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions. He pretty much describes what infirmities are in distresses for Christ's sake. Then he says, For when I am weak... He never talks about being sick, but he says, When I am weak, then I am strong. Infirmities, he's talking about there, are weaknesses. It was a messenger of Satan. A messenger there means an angel of Satan. So it was really a demon spirit. So the devil sent a demon spirit to harass Paul, actually to harass Paul, but also to stir up people against him. And you know, it makes sense today even we should be aware that, you know, a lot of times when things start going wrong in situations, the devil sent a messenger to stir up people against us. And we need to not be like Paul. Paul said he beseeched the Lord three times to take care of this for him. But God is not going to take care of Satan for us. We know that we've been given authority and we're the ones that have to bind Satan. We're the ones that have to take authority over him. We're the ones that have to tell Satan to go. But so many times we're thinking about the person versus who's behind the problem. The person is being used or a puppet of Satan. That shouldn't surprise us, especially if they're a non-believer, although I've seen it happen with believers too. But if they're a non-believer and they're not a Christian, the Bible says that their father is the devil. And it also says that Satan takes them captive at his will. And so these men that Paul are dealing with is the unregenerate man, the Jews that have not converted to Jesus Christ. And so they're fighting him. Their father is the devil. Jesus said they were whitewashed sepulchers. And so the devil's taking them captive at his will and causing them to rise up against Paul and fight him. Well, that still happens today. But a lot of times we get angry and fighting the person The Bible tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And so we have to make sure we know who we're wrestling against. We have to make sure we're not saying, Lord, I just pray you'll do something about this woman at work. And he's saying, my grace is sufficient for you. Take care of it yourself. Bind it up. Cast it out. I'm going to pass this out right now. Get to some more of the practical side of ministering healing right now. Now, sometimes when Curry talks, you think he's like, don't say anything, just say, be healed in Jesus' name. Then sometimes you're going to read this and you're going to go, well, this is different. But what it is, is it depends on where and who he's ministering to. For instance, if you're in Walmart, there is not probably going to be time for a lot of stuff where you identify things and things like that. You're just going to have to pray. Uh, God wants to heal you. God loves you. Praise God. We've watched some testimonies about that. But number one is determine the problem. Ask what the name of the problem is. 
or discover the symptom of it. Or, this is not all of these, it could be all of them, but mostly it's either or. If you cannot get the name of it, because they say, I don't know, this is the symptom I'm having. Or if they say, I don't know what's wrong with my knee, but this is what I can't do, or this is where it hurt. So that's what that is. Number two, if there is no name, it cannot be diagnosed. A lot of people go to the doctor and they have a problem, but the doctor cannot find out what's wrong with them. They don't know. Then in that case, attack, cast out, or evict the spirit of infirmity. And when the doctors can't find the diagnosis, I mean, sometimes it's just that they haven't done enough tests yet. But a lot of the time, it's the fact that it really is just a demon. It's just a spirit of infirmity. Number three, if there are more than two problems present, names or symptoms. He used an example, I believe, of have uh, fibromyalgia and I have chronic fatigue syndrome. He said if they say those two things, he said there is always a third thing. He said most of the time when somebody gives two things that's wrong with them, there's a third thing. But anyway, he said, if more than two problems are present, attack, cast out, evict the spirit of infirmity. He talks about that certain things kind of run together. He's prayed for enough people that if they say certain things, he knows what the third thing is. Without a word of knowledge, he will know because they kind of run together. And he says, when it's more than one thing, always attack the spirit of infirmity instead of going after the individual things. Because he said, and this is very interesting to me, he said, if there are three things or four things, but they only name two and you don't go after the spirit of infirmity, he said, they'll get better in the two things, but the spirit of infirmity will hide in the third thing that you didn't go after and they didn't mention. And then the spirit of infirmity that hid in the third thing will call the other two sicknesses back. I know. I was like, wow. Oh, my word. So, uh, man, there's a lot to learn, isn't there? I'm so glad we have Jesus and the Holy Ghost to depend on. If the problem started with a traumatic experience, well, what happened in the last year? Well, my parents got divorced or I got divorced. Those are traumatic experience or my cousin was murdered or something like that. If it starts with a traumatic experience because the enemy always tries, nearly always tries to come in on traumatic experiences. If you have something that shakes you up, he'll try to come in behind that. Always cast out and evict the spirit of infirmity if there was a traumatic experience. You know, if it happened 20 years ago and they're just now sick, that's probably not it. But if it happened within the year or so. Number five, once the problem is determined, declare that the problem has no right to remain. Declare that the person is free in Jesus' name. Minister, deliver life, virtue, power by the method you choose, either laying on of hands, words, or an action to be obeyed. Jesus always healed by a word of command or authority or by the laying on of hands. Tell the spirit or problem what you want it to do. Tell the body what you want it to do. Be healed, system, function, now, etc. Tell the person to do what they could not do. Keep working with them until they have recovered and can do again what they could not do and have the person testify of any and all changes present. So that's something to meditate on, pray about, think about, 
you need a notebook to put this stuff in so that you can go over it, over it and over it. You know, we'll have a question and we'll be able to go to our notebook and just read and we'll find things that God will remind us of things that we've heard or that we had forgotten about. I believe that here in this room and the people that are being trained for this here at River Church, that we know the mechanics enough. You know, we can study more mechanics and that's always good. But basically, we know the mechanics. We know what to do. We'll have to really rely on the Holy Spirit on what to do. But we basically know what to do. So if there's anything to me that's in our way, it's not that we don't know enough. Because we know the legality of healing. We know Jesus bore. We know it's done. We know all that. And we don't only know it, we believe it. And this is not just head knowledge. It is dropped down in our heart that by His stripes you were healed. So... I believe that the big thing that we have to conquer is just trusting that God will back us up. I believe to speak boldly and confidently, we just have to be assured in our hearts that God will back us up. And there, you know, Mark 16, that'd be a good place to meditate because it says, these signs will follow them that believe. Verse 20, it says how God worked with them, confirming the word with signs following. Matthew 18, 18 says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And so meditate in those places because we have to get it firmly established in our heart that God is going to back us up. So we can step out there boldly. Like Peter and John said, I don't have any silver and gold, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Now, that's knowing God will back you up. You know, that's not saying, well, you know, let us pray and just kind of see what God will do. You know, which is things we've all said. I know I have said things like that. Well, instead of, no, rise up and walk in Jesus' name. Pastor has had the opportunity this week. We've been having opportunities in Seagraves. He had the opportunity this week to go to DCH and pray for two women. Both of the women told him, said, uh, well, lots of people are praying for me. Oh, a whole bunch of people are praying for me. And I said, I'm tired of that. I'm going to start saying, yeah, it hadn't done any good, has it? And I didn't come to pray for you. I came to get you healed. I said, we're going to have to get bold because that is religious. Because, you know, they put your name on that thing at church. And if they did pray for you, they didn't know how to pray. Oh, people all over the world are praying for me. Well, if it was going to do something, it would already done something. So just forget that and let's get healed tonight. Hallelujah. He said that was pretty much what he told her. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. They're not kin to you, so don't worry about it. The second thing that we've got to be fully assured of is that when we tell the devil to flee, that he will. You know, we're like, okay, I'm going to tell the devil to go. Will he really go? And you know, James 4, 7 says that submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. I think the main way that the devil knows that he has to flee from us, he knows he has to because of the Word. He knows that. He knows what the Word says. But I think for him to think, I can hang around here and she'll do something, then I won't have to, is we have to be consistent. If we're consistent, then the devil's going to know. When she says go, I better go because she is going to 
take the name and the blood and whip me all over Tuscaloosa. Hallelujah. Praise God.